Have you ever uh, plugged your cell phone into charge overnight, or maybe you have a, a, a newer phone and it can do the wireless charging on that little circle thing? Yeah, you ever plug it in or put it on that charger, thinking, okay, it'll charge overnight, it was almost dead, and you wake up in the morning and it's, it's still dead? You know, maybe you got a bad connector, or you put it on the charger wrong. I, I do that so often. It's just a little circle, but somehow I can put it on the wrong spot, the light will light up for a minute, and then it stops, and I get up in the morning, the phone is nearly dead. Uh, the worst is when it's still working, I don't look, and then I go off about the day, and I go, oh, I got 5%. What am I going to do? Well, as we head back to Psalm 32, we're looking at it again this week. Uh, at the second part of it, we're moving on from the, the aspect that it deals with about failure and how failure running in the background of our lives is draining our energy to then say, okay, if you deal with the failure, and this you can listen today, even if you weren't here last week, uh, but it does go together, so I encourage you to check that out sometime if you have time, but it won't take away from the fact that the thing we're talking about today, that second part is, okay, if you dealt with the failure, then how, how do you restore the energy? So you, you dealt with what's draining you, but then how do you build back up your energy, your life, your joy, your hope? Well, that's what this passage is about, about how do you connect with God, not off at an angle or you know with a bad connector, but how do you truly connect with what really supplies life? So read with me, if you would, Psalm 32. We'll read the whole thing, but we're essentially going to focus on verses 6 through 11. This is God's word, Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found surely in a flood of great waters. They will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. This is God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that it might be more than ink on paper, pixels on the screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums, Lord, but it might be the living and life-giving Word of God. Build us up, we pray, 
And we come to you in the name of Jesus, trusting your spirit will work. But we pray in his name. Amen. Now in the first part of Psalm 32, we saw how to deal with failure. Now, running in the background of our lives like an app, you know, it drains our energy. And to deal with it, we have to, you know, bring it to the front. And we have to acknowledge it, own up to it, and we can swipe up and give it to God. Uh, whether that failure is falling short of our goal, our target, God's standard, or whether it's crossing a line, trespassing, transgressing, going too far, or whether it's twisting that standard and making wrong right and right wrong, using good things for bad purposes, all of those things. Whatever the, the failure is, we bring it to the front, we get honest about it, we, we, we give it to God, seeking his forgiveness, confessing that failure, and he takes it away. If we do that in faith, if we come to him believing that's possible, he takes it away. Which is great, right? That's wonderful, it's so encouraging, but it's only half the story. And today we're going to look at the second part of that story. So after you've been drained, you know, even a little bit or a lot, how do you restore life and hope and energy? How do you recharge once you're drained? It starts where we left off last week. The end of verse 5 with this little phrase. Look at the end of verse 5. Oh, well, the wind blew my page. Psalm 32, there we go. Psalm 32, verse 5. You forgave the guilt of my sin. That little phrase is so incredibly powerful. That little phrase, if you properly understand it, is the connection. It is the key to restoring life and hope, to, to moving on from failure and moving forward in a positive and helpful direction. It's, it's the connection to forgiveness, and it's like uh, the newer Apple iPhones that are out. I don't have one of these, but apparently they have like a new charger with a wireless option, right? I don't know what model it starts with, but there's a magnet in the back of the phone where if you get close enough to the charging base, and it's one of the ones that's certified for Apple, you know, so somebody paid a lot of money to say it's made for Apple, right? So if you have that kind of charger and you bring your phone near it, you can't, you can't mess it up. The magnets cause it to line up. The magnets cause it to make a good connection, and, and it will be charged in the morning, right? That idea of making a solid, good connection to the charger to get the power is what's going on here. If we give our failure to God, if we understand how he offers forgiveness, if we receive that, you are making that kind of solid connection to life. Because you're making that connection to God. The God who gave life to all things. The God who offers life and hope. No matter what you've been through. And those who receive that forgiveness, like the magnet in the back of the phone, they're, they're drawn to that source of power, right? That those who receive this forgiveness want to pursue it, are, are longing for that connection and find it in this God who forgives. And when, when he says he forgives, 
when he says he forgives, he's essentially making four promises as uh, Ken Sandy in his Peacemaking and Relational Wisdom Materials puts it. God is saying, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, I will not dwell on your failure. God says, I'm not just going to keep thinking about it. God says, I'm not going to bring up your failure again and use it against you. God makes a promise essentially that says, I will not talk to other people about your failure. God says as well, I will not let your failure stand between us or hinder our relationship, our personal relationship. That's what God is saying implicitly, as David says at the end of verse 5, you forgave the guilt of my sin. You took it away is the sense of that word for forgiveness. The lifting up and carrying it. You had the burden and it's moved away from you. It's gone and you bear it no more. Again, Ken Sandy puts it this way. You clear the way for your relationship to develop unhindered by memories of past wrongs. That is exactly what God does for us. If we receive his forgiveness, that restored connection is rooted in a right understanding of God. And that's essentially what I want us to focus on today. That, that understanding of God that King David knew and that empowered him, who had done some, some seriously wrong things, right? If you think about the incident that he especially confesses in Psalm 51, David with his sin with Bathsheba broke all ten commandments. You go through that passage based on uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12 as well, and then his confession in Psalm 31. David did everything he could possibly do wrong. And he's the one who then says, look, this is who God is. And if you understand that, if you understand the forgiveness he offers, if you understand who this God is, you will be connected to life and hope and new energy, especially if you understand that God is for you. And that's our first main point. Understand who God is, that he is a God for you. This is the power supply. Look at verse 6. It's the energy behind verses 6 and 7. That God is for me, David says. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. David has just said, you forgave the guilt of my sin at the end of verse 5. And now he's saying, look, that, that means that everybody should... Everybody who's godly, everybody who cares about God should pray to you, God, when you may be found surely in a flood of great waters. Those waters will not reach that person who is praying to you. You're my hiding place, David says in verse 7. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And by the way, that, there's a selah there at the end of verse 7. It appears several times in the Psalms and especially in this psalm. And we're not sure, to be totally honest, what it means. It seems to be most likely some sort of musical indication like pause. Uh, it seems to break thought concepts in the, in the, in the hymn book of people of God. Uh, so that's why I don't read it. And if we were, we would transliterate it silah. That's a Hebrew word. We can talk more about that if you want to a different time. But the sense of what David is saying here essentially is just responding to the forgiveness with this overwhelming joy that everybody should enter into this. That this is who God is, that, that he's a hiding place, that he will preserve me, that he will surround me, that he won't let the flood of great waters reach me. And often that's, that's thinking of our circumstances overwhelming us, whether he changes everything, anything around us. He's not going to let things overwhelm us. And in the end, even death itself 
will bow to him and we will rise victoriously. That's, that's what's going on here with this hope and this energy that King David is connected to as he writes this psalm. The truth that you need to connect to deep down so that you can move on from failure and recharge in life. In fact, this, this is one of the things that is so important for you to grasp in your Christian life. That if you don't understand this, if, I would say you don't have a living and vibrant faith if you don't have access to this connection that's capable of restoring your energy, of really charging your batteries. You won't have that if you don't, in the depth of your heart, believe that God is actually on your side. That he is for you. He wants what's best for you. Why is that so necessary? Why, why is it life-altering if you will grasp that? Why is it that so many people who come to understand this, which is very often called the, the, the doctrines of grace, why is it that people who understand that become just zealous, over-the-top proponents of grace? Annoyingly almost, right? They should be locked up for a season. You know, that, that just, what is it? Why is that so? Because the thing is, we all fail. And we're still going to continue to fail. And what happens is, you know you were not intended to fail. You know you were meant to flourish and thrive and succeed. And you, you can't reconcile those things deep down. You also know that it is actually when you fail, no matter how badly or how quietly you have sinned and fallen short of what God wants, no matter how you fail, you know deep down it's really the creator that you have to deal with. And that you can only put that off for so long. You can only distract yourself in so many ways before sooner or later you have to come to terms with that failure, and with the God who is behind it. And what happens is, right, when we realize that, and we begin to grow in our awareness of God, very often we begin to think, I just need to work harder. That I can, I can stop failing altogether, or I can make up for the things I've done wrong if I just, if I give twice as much, or if I work twice as hard, if I sacrifice all that I have. That's not the way it works. This forgiveness that God offers, that's rooted in who He is, it's the connection between you and life. It's forgiveness, grace. And it is about what God does more than what you do. That's why it's so key to understanding who God is. Because it's really about who He is and what He does more than who you are and what you've done. You need to own your failures, and that's the main thing you need to bring to God. You, you don't bring much else to offer. You don't have shiny gifts and packages to offer Him. You have smelly, stinky failures. And that's what He wants to receive. That's what he wants to take care of. 
You have a big giant burden weighing you down and God wants to relieve it from you and take it upon himself. This idea, this whole topic is throughout the book of Romans. We went through that a couple of years ago. But in particular, I want to point out in Romans 4, where Paul, as he writes that letter to the church in Rome, is speaking of the positive side of forgiveness. And he quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. He says in Romans 4, verse 8, or I'm sorry, Romans 4, verse 6, as David speaks also of the blessing, how much better it is, on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. He says, David speaks to the blessing of the man who God credits righteousness, who God gives right standing, right relationship apart from works. Then he quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 in Romans 4, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not take into account. He's talking about in context there in Romans 4 about how Abraham was right with God. Father Abraham, living before Moses, living before the cross, living in a right relationship with God. And Paul is saying, how is that possible? that Abraham could be right with God. The Bible uses the word justified or righteous, usually to describe that. And Paul is wrestling with that question. Was Abraham right with God by working hard and pleasing God or by something else? And the answer is, actually in Romans 4, right before what I just read, where he quotes Psalm 32. He says in Romans 4.1, What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? That is, uh, speaking to Jews, what is our ancestor Abraham, our flesh and blood ancestor? What did he find regarding this? Romans 4.2, If Abraham was justified, made right with God, by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, given, counted to him as righteousness, as making him right with God. Abraham was not right with God because he worked hard or because he was smarter or because he had his uh, doctrinal statements all lined up and his catechism and creeds all memorized. None of those things are bad. Don't hear me saying those are bad. But that's not what makes you right with God. What makes you right with God is believing in God, who he really is. Paul clarifies Romans 4.4. 4, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor or as grace or as a gift, but as what is due. If you work, you get paid. Right? But, Romans 4, 5, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, who makes right those who have failed, his faith is credited as righteousness, as being right with God. And then Paul goes on, like I read earlier, to quote Psalm 32, about the great 
blessing, the benefit, how much better it is to know that you have received this forgiveness, that when you fell short, it has been taken care of, that when you cross the line, God has wiped it away, that when you have twisted the standard, he has straightened it out, and he considers you now right and good in his eyes. He is for you. And you don't need to repay him. You cannot repay him. It is a gift, not of works, but by faith. That's forgiveness, this receiving of forgiveness. And so now think about that. Right? What actually changes in your circumstances and in your world when you receive that forgiveness? When you understand your failure, you bring it to the front, you deal with it, and you give it to God. And you recognize that, that he takes it away. What in your world is changing? No one around you is even going to know that necessarily, right? There's not going to be social media posts flying out, right? What changes? What changes is your heart. That God is working in those circumstances to give you this new life through his spirit. And in fact, we don't have time to dig into it, but we would say, you know what? He gives you your spirit as those things are happening. That they are a gift from him, because otherwise they wouldn't happen. But he gives you that of his new spirit to give you a new birth. That you would be born again. That you would have a new life. That failure doesn't need to define you. Your past failures don't need to cling to you. They're gone. They're wiped away. They're burned up. They're nailed to a cross. They're buried in the grave. They're paid for. All of the debts on your spiritual eternal credit card have been wiped clean. That's what's going on here. And what happens is that moving on from there comes from that perspective on God that now, you know what? You, you want to connect with God. You want to draw near with God, to God. You, you, you want to listen to him. Look at what it says here in verses 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you. You know, after you've understood, you've received this forgiveness, after you, you, you've, you've found this joy that says, you know what? Everyone should pray to you. God then says to you in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Psalm 32, verse 9. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding. Whose trappings, the stuff that they have, include a bit and a bridle to hold them in check or they won't come near to you. To see what God is saying. Like if, if you have received forgiveness, you don't need to be yanked towards God. You don't need to be throttled and pulled towards him. If you have received his forgiveness, you're saying, I want to follow where you lead. God, I want you to guide and direct me. I'm willing to listen. I'm not going to be like a dumb beast. I'm going to believe that what you say is for my good. That I have hope for the future. If you don't listen to God, if you don't then draw near to him, you're going to continue to have this wrong perspective on failure. You're going to probably have a wrong idea about failure, and you're going to, you're going to forget or not learn that failure separates us. 
It, it is a great tool of the enemy, and the way it drains our lives is it separates us. It calls us to shame. It calls us to darkness. It calls us to hide and withdraw. It pulls us apart. It builds up walls. If you go all the way back to the beginning of failure with Adam and Eve, when they failed to listen and obey what God had said not to eat of the fruit, what happened was not just brokenness in their relationship with God, not just running away from him and, and literally hiding in the garden, right? And not just covering themselves up with fig leaves to try to hide their shame, but in fact, a brokenness between them. They start blaming each other. They start shifting responsibility. That's what failure does. That's, that's, that's the energy it's burning in the background if we don't deal with it. But if we do deal with it, and if we receive the forgiveness of God that is freely offered, we can have this confidence that all of that shame and that guilt is gone. God knows it more than anyone else on the planet, what you have done. In the secret depths of your heart, much less out in the external world. God knows it all, and he's saying, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And don't just hear that as, you know, you were guilty and now you're not. Hear that as, you were not only guilty and now you're not. You were full of shame and I rejected you, but now I accept you. That I am for you, God says. That I accept you. Because that's the thing with failure. It attacks deep down in our hearts. But if you know in the core of your being that no matter what you have done, God forgives when you come to him in faith and own it, if you've got that settled in your heart, you're not only right with him and listening to him and have a better hope for energy and life and direction, right? You also are able to deal with the brokennesses that you have committed, the ways that you have hurt others. Because you're not looking to yourself for your identity. You're not looking to yourself for your status. You, you, you actually know that, that you're broken. And you can own the fact that you hurt other people. And you can take responsibility that in the same way that we take responsibility before God. That you, and again, this is a Ken Sandy peacemaking material. You can make these, these seven facets of an apology. We talked about it last week in a directing to God. That you, that you could address everyone that's involved when you have failed. Address all those that were involved. If you said something you shouldn't have, whoever was there that heard it, you can address them all. And avoid excuses, no ifs, buts, or maybes. Admit specifically, you know, when I said whatever it was you said, that was wrong. Acknowledge the hurt. I'm sure that hurt. No one likes to be called names. No one likes the truth about them to be twisted. No one likes their faults, even if they're true and accurate, laid out before other people. 
You know, that might even dig deeper and say, you know what, I, I've shared things about you in public I should not have shared. Because I was angry and that was wrong. Acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences. And alter your behavior. Maybe the consequences are, I commit to, to avoiding telling jokes because I'm concerned about my ability to say what is helpful and not hurtful. You know, maybe it's to say, I will call when I'm going to be late so you don't worry about me because I worried you so much the other day. Maybe it's I, I will check in if I'm going to spend more than this amount of money to purchase something. You know, whatever it is, accepting those consequences, if we're willing to admit we failed, we'll say, you know what, I'll accept consequences and I will alter my behavior and, and literally ask for forgiveness. It feels cheesy sometimes, but I find it super helpful. It's the way I'm wired, and I'm going to guess a lot of people are like this, to both have someone ask specifically for forgiveness and to be able to ask for forgiveness, to say, I, will you forgive me? And to hear back, not don't worry about it, not, it's nothing, but yes, I forgive you. Yes, because that's what God offers to you and me. And if we understand that, it's going to fuel and restore not just our relationship with him that gives us the ultimate source of energy, but do you realize we were made for relationships? And, and if we have failure and brokennesses, we're going to cut pull back from other people and it is not until we're willing to own our failures that when we can enter in the fullness of relationships we can be vulnerable and have depth of relationship we can be authentic and say what we're really thinking in gracious ways express our hurts and know that we're going to address it that we're not going to blow it off but we're actually going to pursue reconciliation but if you don't have that understanding of forgiveness, if you don't have that connection, if you are not rooted in the life of God, you're, you're going to have a really hard time doing that. It's going to be impossible. You will hold grudges. You will keep score. You will shift the blame. You will find other things to do. You will avoid people. But if you will understand this fundamental facet of forgiveness, it will not only lead you closer to God, but it's going to give you joy and life and hope. And I just want to close with those last couple of verses of this psalm. Verses 10 and 11. They speak to this. After David has wrestled with, with his, his failure and the energy is drained from his life and he's taken it to God and acknowledged it openly, confessed it to God, and he's received that forgiveness and he's, God has said, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to teach you the way you should go. David closes this whole psalm with these wonderful words. Think about these with me. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, the ungodly, those who depart from God's ways, those who haven't dealt with their failure. You can put it that way. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. If, if you understand the connection of that and the rest of the psalm, you get it. If you feel like, why is he saying that? 
you need to wrestle and go back earlier in this psalm. Because this is the logical place to lead, to end, to wind up. That, that recognizing, you know what, if I haven't dealt with my failure, if I'm, if I'm still fleeing from God, and I'm not trusting him, I'm not going to find loving kindness. I'm not going to have this joy and gladness. I'm not going to be upright at heart. I'm not going to be right with God because I haven't dealt with any of that. But if I have dealt with that, I'm going to have this joy. I'm going to have this gladness. I'm, I'm going to be shouting. I'm going to know I'm, I'm right in heart. Even no matter what I've done in my life, that God now considers me right with him because he offers forgiveness by faith because that's who he is. He's for you. He's with you. You know, if, you, if you've plugged your phone in wrong overnight, you've got one of those wireless chargers that doesn't quite connect sometimes, or you put it on there wrong, right? You, you, you wake up and you have this maybe a dead phone, almost dead phone. And I don't know about you, but what, what I do at that point then is for like the next 10 times I put it on the charger, I just keep going, is it, okay, is the light on? Is it charging? You know, is the little lightning bolt there? You know, is it okay? Or is it still? Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm a little paranoid about it. I keep going back to it. Is it real? Is it connected? Is it charging? You know, that, that's, that happens, right? Our connection with God is very similar. Right? This is something we struggle with. And I think we will struggle with it for the rest of our lives. Because it's so hard to believe it's really happening. There's this initial joy. If you come to faith as an adult and you understand these things for the first time, deep down, you're just overwhelming. You are flooded with this energy and joy, right? But what happens is life starts to creep in. You begin to think, well, maybe, you know, you lose track of it. And you come back to it and you're like, yeah, okay, it is charging. I am charging. That's, that's the connection with God that forgiveness offers us. It takes some getting used to and we, we keep needing to go back to it. But the good news is, Someday that's not going to be the case anymore. That what this is really about is our connection to Jesus. That he came to this planet. He lived always connected to God. Living the perfect life. Never failing. He, who did no wrong, became sin for us. He took our failures on that cross. If you struggle with assurance, that's what you need to remember. That your failures, if your faith is in Jesus, are nailed to that cross. And he didn't stay on that cross. He died. Not just from the physical agony, but from the spiritual debt you and I owed. Jesus remained under the power of death long enough to pay for all of our failures. Being God and man together, he alone could do that. And he rose victorious over the grave. New life in its fullness, not just in the promise, not just the seed, but the whole tree bearing fruit in our lives. And that's what we have awaiting us after the ultimate enemy of Satan and the grave are conquered. We will rise in that day never to sin again, never to fail again, never to depart from God's ways, always to listen to him and want what he wants and go where he wants us to go. And the beautiful thing of it is right now you can have a foretaste of that. Right now you can enter into that life, not perfectly, but repentantly. You can come and say, Lord, I want that forgiveness. 
And as you believe that it is yours, you will find a new life and work in you. Jesus will be giving his power through the Spirit to you, putting to death the failure and the brokenness with the promise of a new life and a new hope in the future. That you can find some victories, and what do you do? You give him the credit, right? You say, thank you so much. You grow in your appreciation. You grow in your love for him. As you more and more realize, you know what? He is, he is so perfect, and I am so far from that. And Jesus spans that gap until that day when we rise from the grave. And you know what we're going to do? We start off the service with it. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice. We're going to fall down in adoration and love before this one. And you know what? I think what would happen is if we realized just how precious this gift of forgiveness is, if we realized just how amazing it is that this grace comes to us freely, it would impact our singing. You know, we would be loud. The neighborhood would hear us. If we, during the week, dealt with our, our failures, if we were willing to reconcile our relationships, try it this week. Try it this week. See if, if drawing near to God and forgiveness and then dealing with your relationships with others doesn't bring you closer to God and make you want more of Him. Especially, man, if you are in a marriage and it's two believers together, if, if you fail in that relationship, you hurt your partner, and you own up, and those seven A's, if you sincerely unpack that for somebody and they forgive you, there is a depth of relationship that comes from that that I think is even better than the relationship you had before that. Because that's the way this God works. That the very things that would threaten to kill us and to tear us down, he redeems and turns to good. It is so powerful. Not just in our marriages, but in our parenting, in our relationships with co-workers, in our neighborhood. Brothers and sisters, put that in your hearts. Believe this is who God is, that he is for you. Not only is he for you, but that means you can draw near to him and he will lead you into this new future of joy and hope, and life, and energy. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we receive your forgiveness that you offer to us by faith as we come to you confessing our failures, we've fallen short. Lord, we've crossed the line. We've twisted things. We receive your forgiveness as we come to you in faith. We are so thankful that that connects us to you in a deeper way. And that gives us new life, new hope, new energy. Lord, would, would you work that more and more into our hearts? Today, this week, would you work in us as husbands to love our wives by owning our failures and seeking forgiveness from you and from them. Would you lead us, O oh Lord, as, as bosses and supervisors? Would you lead us as children and parents? Would you lead us, O oh Lord, 
into a deeper experience of your forgiveness that we might be recharged and have that failure taken away and new life pouring through us. Not only for our good, but for the good of your people and the good of this world and this community in particular, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.